Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to First uh, John. We've got a few minutes before we get there, but go ahead and be there. That's where we're going to be today. First John, if you will. So let me say, uh, we preach, you know, me and Mike uh, get to fill in some, and Mike's going through the book of James. I don't know that we'll still be here by the time he finishes that book of James. Um, we may be in retirement mode. But um, so we get to preach a few times a year. And I battled this week because I'll admit, I was kind of excited to be able to preach, but not excited for why I'm getting to preach. You see what I'm saying? Usually, it's um, maybe they're on, uh, the Bartlett's are on vacation. And um, I'm excited to be able to just study through a passage and let the passage kind of get all inside of me and work itself out through me and then get to preach. This time there was this feeling the whole week of like, well, this is good, man, this is bad. <laughs> this is great. Well, this is not great. But I'll admit, I, I've spent some time in First John for a little while. Um, how some of this even came about was really not typical. Um, I was at where my wife works. She works for a hearing aid place and in Greenville. And I was there uh, for several different reasons, and I got to meet a former vice president of a college in town. And for those of you that know me, I can talk to anyone, and um, he, he was willing to talk a little bit, and man, it was about 20 minutes, and we weren't talking about hearing aids or nothing to do with hearing, just about what God had done in his life and how he ended up with the role that he had. He had been, he had been kind of pulpit supplying several different different ministries, and then he ends up vice president of this university, I believe, for about 20 years. And I was like, man, that was incredible. And he said, well, here, he said, why don't you study First John? And he kind of walked me through why to study that. And that was back, I believe, in May or so. And so since May, I've been just reading over First John, the whole book, one chapters 1 to 5. And the more I got to reading, the more I just felt like God was just working and changing and working and changing, not knowing that we'd preach here in July. And really, I believe this particular message is what we need for right now, for what's going on right now. Um, I saw a post on social media where a lady said that, hey, let's just get the turkey cooked, get the Christmas tree up, and let's start 2021, right? And I know there are many people that feel that way. But I got to thinking, there has, God's got to have a purpose in all this. Hey, there are people getting saved literally all over the world. Um, we mentioned Africa and Moses Kaziba some. I was talking to him about two weeks ago. They'd seen 35 Muslim families come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And uh, he was just grateful. Now all of them are beginning a discipleship program. So God's doing some just big, big things. People are open. And I think if we can... Our main topic, of course, if, if we can really focus on one thing, Jesus is just better. He's just better. Now, you'll see in the title there, there's a blank. Jesus is better than blank. I will not be giving you that blank this morning. I'm actually going to ask you to, between you and the Lord, maybe fill that blank out. And you say, wait a minute, Jesus is better than everything. Do you respond and live that way? 
That's what I'm asking. Do you respond and live that way that Jesus, because we know in our minds, if we spend time in God's word, well, Jesus is better. But do we live that out? And I want to be an encouragement to you. Like I said, at the end of this, I want us to be excited about what tomorrow holds, what tonight holds, this week, because God is doing big, big things. Now, our passage really is uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, but it's important that we read 5 to 10 of chapter 1, because it really is a continuation of a thought, and we don't want to just kind of jump in there and not get the full thought put in place. So if you will read with me, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 6. This is the message we have heard from him, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, this first introductory part could really be a separate point, but I didn't do that. But I'm going to tell you, this part and part one of this service is by, of the sermon is by far the longest piece to this message. Two and three will go rather quickly, but there's just so much in point one that we've got to hit. And then even before we get to point one, I really want to talk about this introductory part of when you look at uh, chapter two, verse one, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. That actually is in reference back to chapter one in verse eight. A very familiar, uh, verse, uh, verse 9, sorry, a very familiar uh, passage. In fact, if you're leading someone to Christ, one of the first things, you, verses you'll tell them to memorize and hold on to is what? Well, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? That's a verse we want a new Christian to get a hold of quickly. Why? Because once you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, more than likely within a few hours, maybe even minutes, you're going to have a bad thought. And the first fear that begins to creep up maybe in your mind is, 
Did I say the right words? Did I believe enough? So we don't ever want to the best of our ability to communicate doubt. So we turn, especially new Christians, back to this verse and say, claim this verse, memorize this verse. And it's major important. But what John here is saying to us, it shouldn't be a get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, new Christians, maybe even uh, Christians who have been saved for a while and maybe are growing at a slow pace or just kind of as, as they're growing, the idea, the thought can come, you know what, if I commit this sin, it's okay because I can just claim 1 John 1, 9 because he's going to forgive me. But he's obligated to, he said he would. I mean, you both know that's not repentance. That's not true forgiveness. But John here was saying, don't use this passage, right, to, to sin just lawlessly, okay? And so it's important as we look to verses 1 to 6 that we have that in the back of our minds because he even says here in verse 1, I write these things so that you may not sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm like, yep, that's kind of impossible, <laughs> Right? In fact, in large portions of 1 John, he talks about being sin-free or sinless, going through the Christian life without sin. And it's almost like he's saying here, don't use this as a get-out-of-jail-free card, but by the way, when you sin. So it's almost two sides of a different coin. So I don't want there to be necessarily confusion that we're saying that we should just sin lawlessly. Of course not. That's not what the Bible says. We ought to claim 1 John 1.9. But... When me and you do sin, we have Jesus Christ. For those who know, who know Christ as their personal Savior, they have Jesus Christ. Number one today, in Jesus Christ, we have a divine advocate to God the Father. Now, when we go over for really point one, we're going to talk about this, and I'm immediately going to go ahead and go to the next note because they kind of really tie in well together. So point one there is in Jesus Christ, we have a divine advocate to God the Father. Right underneath that, your next point would be intercession on our behalf is one of the primary ministries of Jesus. And in the verse number one, it says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. When I think of an advocate... I think of going through, from going from an adoptive or a foster family to an adoptive family and all the many pieces that have to happen, the time that takes place. Um, we were, our foster parents for about four years and had our son for 15 months before he became legally our son. And there's a process there. And then we, we meet this unbelievable person that was with us. He was very humble. I don't want to mention his name because he's actually in pastoral ministry in the area. And just, a, we got to know him a little bit and he was the advocate and for the child. So you've got DSS, those that represent the government. You've got this adoptive family and you'll have a lawyer or whatnot for you to represent you. But then you've got to have this person that speaks up for the child. Why? Because the, the child can't speak for themselves. They don't know what safety looks like in a loving home initially. So this man, he was so awesome, am I right? He's such a good dude. But he comes to your house. He opens all the doors. He wants to make sure that the, that the child has a place to sleep, right? Make sure there's food available for the child. 
He's speaking for the child. He doesn't work for DSS, the Department of Social Services, and he really doesn't work for the adoptive family. He really works for the child. So then on that fateful day when you go before the, the judge, okay, and in about 15 minutes, man, life changes for that child. There's different parts. So you got to, it's, it's really kind of weird. You got the DSS over here, and there's not really plaintiffs and defendants, but it seems like they sit on the plaintiff side, right? And then there's the family who's taken in the child. And then over to, kind of off to the side, but definitely in front of the judge, is this advocate, this guardian ad litem, right? And he goes to him and he says, Tell us what you know about the family, about the child, and your recommendation. Their recommendation is very valuable in this process. If they've been with this family for a while, and they may even like the family, but they just don't feel the child's going to be safe for a variety of whatever reason, maybe the family's not ready, the advocate, the guardian item will say, based on what we've seen, we just don't feel this is the right time. But if he comes out and says the opposite, hey, look, everything looks good and great here. I've seen the family. I've seen the location where the baby's going to be and it's going to be safe. Man, it holds a lot of weight and it goes very quickly. So this, this guarding at litem speaks for the baby. Now back to our point in just a moment for what Jesus Christ does for us. So whether you've been saved a few days, a few hours, or literally for decades, Jesus is making intercession for me and you. When we sin, God is just and holy, right? Right? And there is no, there'll be no sin in heaven at all. So when God looks to judge that person, Jesus steps in and says, wait a minute. They've trusted in Christ. They've trusted me. My blood's going to take care of that. And continually steps up for me and you. Now, it wasn't just a big deal, a huge deal, that this Jesus went to the cross, lived a perfect life, stayed on the cross through much suffering and pain, rose again three days later. But now his ministry is on our behalf. That should absolutely encourage you this morning. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 5, you can, or you can look right there on the, screen, on the screen. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, men, the man, Christ Jesus, there's one. The same one that took our place is the same one standing up for me and you every day. That should empower you as you live in a world of disinformation, not knowing what the next day is going to hold, not know what new plague is, is found. Hey, you know what? Jesus is on my side. In fact, if anything, I'm on his. And yet he goes to God continually for me and you. Oh, there's no advocate like Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, we're going to look at verse 26 in just a little bit as well. Verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he, is all, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You realize that's part of Jesus' existence going forward? Isn't that an incredible God we serve? The fact that all that suffering and now his response, one of his primary responsibilities is that when you and I pray, he's praying with us. He's going to God for us. That's really an incredible thought. Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross pays 
the debt that you and I could not pay. And if the world needs a message now more than ever, is the debt that's weighing you down, Jesus Christ took care of. Your burden can be light, can be easy. You can have victory in the midst of what's going on today and what's going to go on a decade from now if we're still here. Say in 1 John, if you'd like, go to uh, chapter 4 and verse 10 and 11. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We had a debt that was impossible to pay, that only Jesus Christ could be that substitute that me and you needed. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Christ's substitutionary death on the cross did not just extend to one people group, but to the entire world. It's important that John makes that point because Jews, of course, would believe that Jewish people would believe it was just for them. He was being very clear that he died for the whole world, but that's not the main thrust of that part of the verse where it says, he was a propitiation for our sins and not for us but the whole world. Really the point is, and there's, there's going to be a note come up from R.C. Sproul. This uh, verse 2 does not mean that the Lord intended the atonement to pay for the sins of all people without exception. The entire world is not going to be saved. We know that, right? That's why when the message of the devil is being used to go out throughout, um, in, a, in a person's life to go out through all the world, we shouldn't get frustrated, really. We should accept it, honestly, and know that's just what's going to happen. And we'll give you the rest of this note. For the sins of all people without exception, rather, it affirms that there is only one sacrifice available for any sinner. Namely, the sacrifice of Christ. It's not a popular statement in the world we live in today. But there's no, never more a true statement. Again, all this role that Jesus Christ has taken, and he had to be the penalty. He had to accept all the penalty for our sin. That's what John's motivated to say, look, don't sin. But when you do sin, go back to Christ. He's working for you. Calvin and Owen kind of put it this way, and this is not on the screen, that God then does impute to us our sins, does not impute to us our sins. This comes to us because he has regard to Christ as the intercessor. So the sins that you'll commit today and going forward do not go on your account, do they? No. Thank the Lord they don't. That thought you had coming in, or maybe this morning as you're getting ready, the daily frustrations that you may feel, God doesn't hold that against us. Hey, and by the way, here's a point. We shouldn't hold that against other people either. Um, it's very easy as parents to think of all the things that that child has done wrong when they, you know, when they fail, right? Well, do you always, 
man, I'm glad God doesn't do that to me. Could you imagine if God did that to us? It'd be continual. Well, you, you did it again. Yes, I did it again. That's not God's perspective at all. It's that when he sees me in you, he sees our advocate. In verse 26 of chapter 7 of Hebrews, we just did 25 a moment ago. In verse 26 it says, For it was, it was, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That is the reason me and you should have great joy as we face what we face every day. Because we know Christ. Because the power that only Christ can give. I like this uh, quote as well. This is the same thing John Owens and Calvin together. Um, at the end of this, it says that by his intercession, he renders God to us and that he sanctifies our prayers by the odor of his sacrifice and also aids us by pleading for us. More than anything else today, if you don't remember the next two, I want you to know that you've got Jesus Christ on your side if you belong to him and that he's an advocate for you continually. You say, I prayed this, I prayed a prayer for years and God's not answered. Yes, but he's listening and he's going to God on your behalf. Look, as a family, we've, we've felt that way before. God, are you, are, do, do you hear what we're saying? Not only does he hear what we're saying, but we, his, the champion Jesus is speaking for us. Not only do we have a divine advocate, number two is obedience reveals our divine relationship with God. Let's go back to verses uh, three through five, really the first portion of five there. And it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I, I know him but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. By the way, that's the second time he said that in just a few verses. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. That's really going to kind of stop where the point will be. Um, <laughs> I believe, I, in fact, I know I've said this phrase. I've heard this phrase for years. Simple obedience. Just obey. That's all you got to do. In fact, um, the pastor that I grew up under, I had the same preacher really from the time I was a baby till I got out of college. It was all the same man. And his phrase, if I can, I mean, I can, he said it one time, he said it a thousand. Brandon, more than anything else, be faithful and be obedient. Be faithful, be obedient. Let me tell you, it's not inside of me to be obedient. This idea of just simple obedience, it's not simple. And we're foolish to believe it is. Look, when you pass by the garden and the rope's up and it says, don't touch the flowers, maybe you're not like me, but the first thing I want to do is I want to touch that flower. Right? You know? Go to some, some certain salad bars and it says, go one time. Man, I want to go twice. Right? This, we, we tell our, our kids, just obey like it's something that just comes naturally. It's very hard. It's difficult. 
In fact, without the Holy Spirit empowering us, we can't obey. Think about the baby, the little toddler, right? Sit in your seat, be still. There's nothing inside that three-year-old that wants to do that. Babies don't have to be told to be defiant, but just obey. I love it when somebody would say that, and I'm going to say this. Most of the time it's a teacher, and I'm like, look, I'm thankful, and I ended up in the classroom for a few years myself, and I said, you know what? It is hard to obey all these rules. The school I went to, one of the first, I think literally the first day of signing up for classes, you got this big book that you're supposed to have read, right? At the end of it, it says, I agree with everything in this book, and I'm going to follow it 100%. You'd ask people around you, did you read that? No, I didn't read it. I'm just going to sign it, right? Why? Because most of us didn't. We had already failed the book before we even signed it. Why? Because obedience for a child, for a young adult, for an experienced adult, it's difficult. And more than us screaming to the world, you're going to hell and you need Jesus. If they saw that me and you obeyed, what the difference that would make. What a difference it would make. But I'm telling you, it's hard. It's really hard. It's not something that just comes naturally. It requires that we're in the Word of God. Um, I'm going to read this. We're going to have these posters in, in the building. We just haven't decided where we're going to put them yet. We put this out on social a while back, and I, it's, they're sitting in my office, so I think I read them at least once every single day. But it's a constant reminder. The life of Christians who read the Bible four times or more per week looks radically different than the life of someone who doesn't. Now think about it with me for a moment. Sunday, you're good. Because we're forced to read, right? So what it's saying is, if you read three out of the next six days, your life looks radically different. And in our verse it says we've got to obey the commandments. Well, how are we going to know what the commandments are unless we're reading? So I'm going to give you some of these statistics. Now, I love statistics, but these are just out of this world. You're 228% more likely to share your faith if you read the Bible at least four times. You're 407% more likely to memorize Scripture if you read the Bible at least four times a week. You're 59% less likely to view pornography if you read the Bible four times or more per week. Pornography is killing America, killing us, right? You got junior high students where my son will be going to school soon. And it's just a known thing that not only the boys but the girls if they've got a cell phone that isn't unlocked, they're looking at stuff they shouldn't be looking at. Four times or more per week of reading the Bible, and it says we're 59% less likely to view pornography. And this is a very real, this next statistic is very real, especially right now. You're 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness if you're in your Bible at least four times per week. Anger issues drops by 32%. Alcoholism drops by 57%. Here's one that we hear. And I can, almost, I can understand the feel a little bit this way right now, especially when we're encouraging those to, to stream instead of being here. But it says if we're not in our Bibles at least four times, we're 60%, if we're in our Bibles at least four times a week, we're 60% to feel less distant from God. 
And I'm going to tell you here, man, I had someone tell me this week, I just want to see church people. I want to see my family. Is there a way we can do that? You know, there's this aching, right? The Bible says, though, if we want to be close to God, well, we need to read his word. Now, here's the other part to this, the negative side, that if you're in your Bible three times a week or less, so you've done Sunday, but you decide over the next six days you're only in your Bible twice, researchers say the lives of Christians who do not engage the Bible most days of the week are statistically the same as non-believers. That was done over thousands of people for a long period of time. It's a very extensive study. But what it says is if me and you are not in God's word, it's impossible to know what he, what he wants us to obey. But if we're not, then our lives look the same as a lost person. It's fascinating. It's interesting. That's what the Bible says. That if we're not in his word, we won't look like it or act like it or think like it or talk like it. And I'm not going to knock out digital and social and all that. If you notice, today I didn't bring an iPad to the, to the thing. I think it's the first time since I've been here that I actually brought a physical Bible. Why? Because part of my thinking, we are destroying ourselves on social media. Taking up causes that we have no place in taking. Championing things that we just shouldn't even be a part of. We forgot that Jesus is our advocate. And we spend so much time and effort on these things. And we want, I wonder, is it replacing Scripture? What, what all of our 700 friends or 2,000 friends think, well, that, that's the direction I need to go. We're quick to ask each other what to do, but not quick to spend time in the Bible. And so when I hear this phrase of simple obedience, it may be simple for some. There's some of us that need every bit of God's work inside of us to obey. Obedience requires divine intervention apart from God's word changing me. Left in my wretched, sinful state, I would not obey. I would live in blind rebellion. Now, obedience and love do work together, though. In, in verse 5 of 1 John chapter 2, But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. We can think of that word as completed. That when I spend time in God's word... Isn't it interesting? I don't want to jump on any bandwagons, right? I'm thoughtful in my words and speech. I'm not just off the cuff. And it's interesting, too, that it isn't about a physical aspect of love, that just by me spending time in his word and being obedient, I reflect. I'm in, I, I show my love for him. First John 5 and verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. I like that phrase because I believe the world is convinced that, man, if I follow after God, I'm going to have to give up all this. I'm going to have to exchange what I like to do for stuff that I'm supposed to do. No, the Bible says his commandments aren't burdensome. I'm not going to weigh you down. In fact, it says the opposite, that he'll take this burden from you. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And right now, the world, the world needs a lot of love, honestly. There's much division, much opinions, when really we need to be reflecting the love of God. Matthew Henry puts it this way 
possibly some here may understand God's love to us and doubtless his love to us cannot be perfected or obtain its perfect design and fruit. That it's impossible for those things to take place is what he's saying without our, without our practical observance of his word. It's a question in the last seven days, how many times have you been in scripture? And I'm not saying you did the verse of the day. Look, I get the verse of the day, it's great. It's a few seconds. Man, I can check off. No, I'm talking about have you been in the Word of God in the last seven days? How many days? Now think back over the last seven days of decisions and actions and attitudes and thoughts and words. Right? Were they, would they align themselves with Scripture? Or would they be more about how you feel and your opinion? It is interesting. We don't have to find and wonder what God's opinion is if we're in, if we're in His Word. Um, again, that Matthew Henry deal, if we, the practical observance, almost like it's just kind of obvious, right? If we spend time with God. But again, our flesh fights that. We don't, I don't have time. I can't do it in the morning. Man, by the time I get to the evening, I'm just wore out. Well, listen, excuses are, are in abundance. But then we wonder why we don't have the power of God on our life. Now, I said in, when I was reading this that God says this twice. I mean, the Bible says this twice from 1 John 5, 10 and in 2, 1 to 6. God calls us a liar if we say we love him and do not obey him. Speaking as a parent for a moment, it, it is um, just a really cool thing. There's, there's a feeling that it, it is undescribable when, when your kid just obeys, you know? And, like, you just want to do, I mean, you want to give them, like, whatever you can give them. But why? It just does something inside of you when it just becomes something of what they do to obey. And they don't have to tell you, Mommy, I love you, Daddy, I love you, even though that does feel great. When they do what they're supposed to do, you don't have to wonder if they love you or not. God calls us a liar if we say we love him and don't obey him. How many times were we a liar last week? But as believers, when we obey, then the love of God not only works in us, but through us. There's just something different about us when we obey. Now, I will tell you, the three points, to me, that's the hardest of all these. It's the most difficult. Now, number three, in Christ, we have divine power. We have divine power. Go back now to verse 5 and that little half part we didn't finish, 5b, into verse 6. It says, by this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I don't know how many people in your life you can think of that when you spoke to them, spent time with them, ate a meal with them, that you really felt like you were in the presence of God. More than likely, it's just a few people, right? I think there's like two names that come to my mind immediately that I felt like when I would talk to these people, I was like, man, it's like God's right here in the flesh. But then I really think about not just those moments of spending time with them, but what they did with their time. The amount of emphasis they put on prayer, 
the amount of emphasis they put on prayer. I'm thankful that our pastor puts a big emphasis on prayer. Let me tell you, too, he's the real deal. If you've been around in ministry, you'll find those that will say one thing, project one thing, but then their life just doesn't match it. And thank the Lord we don't work with someone like that here. We don't have a pastor who's like that. He's the real deal. It's not uncommon to walk down to his office, and it can be just during the day, and he's praying. One of the first things he'll tell us for those when we fill in, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for, the, for those that will be doing production. I'm praying for the worship team, but I'm praying for you today. I'm praying that God will use it. And you know if he tells you he's praying, he's praying. But when I think of those few people in my life, the amount of time and that they set aside to not just read the scripture, but to dwell in and to abide. And then you look at their life. When it says walk, that's an example of how they're living, and their life just matches. They don't seem to be swayed one way or the other by, by whatever's going on in society. In fact, you'll find most of those people that really have God's hand on them, they find, oh, I need to pray more. I need to spend more time with God right now. George Mueller was an example of that, right? You go back to George Mueller's home, and you could see the notches in the floor where his knees would have been because how much time he spent with God. And to know that, man, he prayed and God delivered. The same God that these people are serving, me and you serve him too. We ought to take the reality that if we just spend time walking the way he walked, abiding, resting, dwelling, Man, the difference it would make. We would have a power that we, you can't manufacture. Man, there have been times that we've been involved in VBSs, whether it was here or other ministries. And man, the week was like a big jam, man. God just, his hand was on it and things were happening big. And you're like, man, how did all this happen? Well, of course, it's volunteers and the time and effort. But it was God's hand was on it. Typically when I pray, especially in for the service. I want God's hand on it. But really, it goes back to the previous few days. It doesn't just happen. Have we been abiding or walking the way Jesus would have walked in the last few days, last week? How have you responded? How have I responded to others? Well, it, if you haven't spent time with the Lord, your thoughts, actions, and emotions are going to come through. Now, this, in, this uh, point underneath in Christ, we have divine power. Abiding in Christ is our power source. Is our power source. Now, back in our passage here, there's several different mentions of God is light and Him is no darkness. And to reflect that light, that only happens when we're dwelling, abiding, walking. Now, this idea of walking, when you see this in Scripture, I think the men's group is... Um, reading a Watchman E book that has to deal with that. But the same, it, the same feelings, emotions, uh, the same persecutions that Jesus experienced, we should have some reflection of that if we're abiding in him, if we're walking the walk that he had. Which tells us it's not going to be just perfect, right? Not everything's going to go the way we want it to go. In fact, there should be some pushback. If you're not experiencing just any level of persecution or struggle, the question is, are you abiding in Christ? Do you reflect that? 
our daily experience will resemble what Christ went through in his earthly ministry. When we have divine power, our daily, everyday walk with Jesus will resemble what his earthly ministry looked like. And that's both the good, man, we'll see things that only God can do. But we'll also experience the same struggles, right? The same persecution. Think about that in back in terms of point one, where all the things that Christ did for me and you, and yet he still stands before God for us. So yes, I did fill out my blank. Um, I'm not going to tell you what I put in the blank, okay? That's between me and the Lord. But as I read this, my blank looked less and less significant. As I studied this, I was like, really, this, this is what I go to instead of going to Jesus? Really? I choose this over returning to God again and going to him? That blank looks very insignificant. The more you spend time in this book, the more you, especially in this passage, and you look back at all the things that Jesus has done for me and you and continually does for us daily, we can say Jesus is better than whatever you put in the blank. During times of doubt, confusion, frustration, physical ailments, many times we turn to everything else when Jesus will suffice. He's waiting and willing to walk with us so that we can be the light that he's called us to be. I mentioned a few moments ago that one of the things that Jeff emphasizes here is prayer. And in thinking in in terms of that and then also many conversations from last week, I want to encourage you this week that wherever you typically sit, if you're not here, right, if you're out streaming this service, think for a moment, just for a few moments, where do I sit inside the sanctuary, the worship center. Now think about the people that are around you, right? I can tell you, Chris is not here today. He's recovering, but I can tell you where he sits. I know about where he would stay, right? I know the people that sit in the various places that we end up sitting, whether whether streaming or in a section. Now, here's what I encourage you this week. You want to feel closer to the family of God than this particular family? Spend time in prayer for those people that sit around you. You say, well, I can't remember. If you sit and wait long enough, God's going to give you the people that you need to pray for. Right? But that'll help you feel closer, not only to the church family, but you'll feel much closer to God. So I encourage you throughout this week to go to our advocate and pray for our church family. Because, listen, there, there are several that are struggling, whether it be physically, with, with, uh, whether it be COVID or even something else. But then there's also this spiritual struggle. Hey, look, I watched it last week. It worked. And I was thankful for that because I'm going to admit I was nervous. Like, Lord, please let that thing work. You know? But the whole time, it was like this emptiness. I don't want to explain it. It was just like, man, this isn't exactly, this isn't really the same. You know? Um, I don't know what your house is like. I've seen some pictures online of some homes that everybody's just sitting in their seats with all their notes, and it's just pristine. I'm like, that's not my house. <laughs> you know, um, I can keep the dogs quiet a moment, or maybe just have the kids just pay attention to the big screen. Now, that's one thing this has shown me, at least. I love all the technology. But, man, it's, some, it's, some, it's a different deal being here. 
it's a bit a different deal. And there's this aching when we don't see people here. But instead of just aching, why don't we begin to pray for them? So I encourage you this week, think about the people you sit around. And every day, whether it's one family or several, just pray for them over and over and over again. We don't know what they're dealing with and what they're struggling with. I saw a statistic that said um, pregnancies went up. I was like, oh, yep, of course, right? Um, but I've also seen a statistic that said that divorce has gone up as well. Separation's gone up. Why? Because we're being attacked. We're not with our family. So we need to go to Christ, our advocate. He wants us to go to him. He asks us to. In a lot of ways, he kind of begs us to. He shouldn't have to beg. So well, thank you for your attention today. Thank you for those that streamed with us today. I do appreciate it very much. Um, if the blanks and what didn't work, we'll make sure we get, the, uh, get them to you. I know, I will tell you, one thing Pastor has impressed upon this church body, man, I'll uh, be in the back or dealing with the notes, and man, if you don't have one note, hey, where's my blank? I need to fill my blank in, and I'm thankful for that, but if you didn't get them, listen, this message was short, right? You can go back and watch it again, or we can get the notes to you. Let's begin, let's end this service, excuse me, in prayer, and give thanks to him, and uh, give him glory, because he's worth it worthy of it father lord we're thankful that we can spend time with you not just today today is really a reflection of our time with you lord i thank you that on every day of the week we can go before our advocate jesus christ he empowers us to obey and gives us power to live the life you called us to live lord i thank you for this church body and this family i'm so thankful for grace view church god Thank you for the leadership, Lord, for all those that serve, even today, greeters, Lord, that helped us get in the building, children's workers today, Lord, that are serving so that we can do what we do in here, worship team, production team, stream, Lord, cameras, just all the pieces that you've put inside here to make it go. And Lord, I pray we would be an accurate reflection of you to this world that's desperately searching and seeking and really fighting Lord when all they need to know is truth so we thank you we ask you empower us this week and we would pray for the family throughout the week the ones that we sit next to in Jesus name amen